The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. So after David's horrible sin against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against the nation of Israel, the rest of the narrative in the book of Second Samuel talks about this man, this man after God's own heart, this man who's held up as the greatest king of Israel, you know, the one who, through whom the Messiah would come, all the great stuff we know about David. Really, he's presented as a failure. I mean, he's a, he's a failure. When you just read the story, I think. I think if you read it from the vantage point of, oh, this is a godly man, a man after God's heart, then you kind of find a way to make every story sound and look pretty good. But if you just are reading it just as a story, as it's presented, without trying to kind of import thoughts from, from uh, external sources, you'd say this is kind of terrible and really sad. Um, he's a failure as a father. He's a failure as a king. He's kind of looks like a failure as a man. But within that story of failure, what you also see is some really vital lessons for how to move on after failure, how to how to navigate your failures. Of course, his his, his great failure was in um, having one of his most trusted soldiers killed, taking that man's wife uh, after impregnating her, and trying to cover to all the bad stuff from the the story in Second Samuel chapters eleven and twelve. We see the consequences of that, but we also see how David moved through that, how God moved him through that. And I think this is so important because there's all kinds of ways we fail. I mean, we fail in terms of our own sins and our own failures in that, failing God, in other words, in a spiritual, uh, eternal, existential sort of way. Uh, but we also have failures that, that we commit when it comes to, I don't know, our, our jobs and our careers. Um, there are failures in life that aren't necessarily our own fault, just things that happen that are evil and wrong where your life kind of blows up. Um, There are things where we fail where maybe it wasn't evil in the moment. We were just confused or we were foolish or we were inexperienced and we didn't know what the right thing, and we did a wrong thing. We can look back and say, oh, I didn't do what was right there. I failed. I I failed. I I didn't do the wise, the good, the righteous thing, and now I'm dealing with the consequences. How do I move on from that? How do I move through that? And by the way, sometimes I'm not moving on because some failures stick with you and you can't move on from it because you, you just got to deal with it. You got to deal with what's happened. You got to deal with the consequence. How do you do that? The latter part of the book of Second Samuel, I think is really tremendously helpful in this way because it shows the picture of somebody who's still pursuing God. A man who the scriptures say is a man after God's heart. A man who's commended by God as serving him, seeking him, being righteous, all those kind of things. And yet, by any worldly metric and even spiritual metrics, uh, you'd say this guy's a failure. How did God move him through that? And what can we learn from him? All right, first thing I'll say about uh, how David moved through his failures is that he embraced grief. He embraced grief. Or to maybe put it in a, in a more active way, he wept. He mourned as a, because of his sins, because of what he did. You can see this in 2 Samuel 12 itself, where David commits the sin against, uh, against God with Bathsheba. 
in uh, 2 Samuel 12 and um, starting in verse 15 and going into verse 16, David weeps and mourns and fasts and prays. He regrets what's going on. I mean, he's desperately sad about this. Um, but it's not only that. We see this later in the stories. And by the way, maybe I should just pause here because while I said it's a story of failure, I should tell you about some of those failures. And you can read about them on your own. I'm not going to talk about all of them. In 2 Samuel 13, a couple of um, David's other kids, uh, besides the child that he had with Bathsheba, uh, get into some trouble. David's son Amnon sexually assaults his uh, David's daughter, Amnon's half-sister, Tamar. Horrifying, terrible story. And it's just it's disgusting and, and repugnant and, and truly sorrowful to read it in 2 Samuel 13. The follow-up to Amnon assaulting his half-sister Tamar is Tamar's full brother, David's other son, Absalom, um, concocts a plan to uh, execute Amnon. I mean, there's another way like to take vengeance on behalf of his sister and has her killed. Absalom then leaves. By the way, David was upset about what Amnon did, but did nothing. He was upset about what Absalom did, but did nothing. I mean, we can just say it. He fails as a father here. He does not do what the Lord would have wanted him to do, what God said fathers and anybody righteous or anybody in power should do in a situation like this. He failed. After some time and, and through various events, Absalom ends up coming back. David doesn't really embrace him, though, when he comes back. He kind of keeps him at arm's length, and it's just kind of strange. And Absalom, and who knows all the psychological reasons, but we can infer from the text that a lot of it came from his hurt from his father and seeing his father be a failure. Absalom ends up leading a coup to take over the nation of Israel. David ends up having to go in shame and in sorrow, back to our point here, which we're coming back to here in just a second, um, he goes out of the city of Jerusalem, and the people are weeping, those who are loyal to him. And there's some spies that he leaves in the city of Jerusalem, and some people come with him. And he ends up going into battle against, uh, against Absalom. By the way, now what we see is not just a fail, him as a failed father, but we see David as a failed king. His kingdom is uh, split. He's been kicked out of his capital that he established. The city of David is not the city of David. Absalom sleeps with his father's concubines, a sign of power and a sign of dishonoring his father. Um, whenever it's time to actually go into battle, David's men don't even allow David to go. You see now a failed military commander, that strong, brave warrior that we see early in the story of David, he's gone. I mean, he's just not there at all. And then David's kind of one big command to the people was, hey, don't kill Absalom. Maybe, I mean, David loved him as a father would. Uh, maybe he just couldn't bear the, the sight of his son dying, even though his son kind of deserved it. Not kind of, he deserved death, really, whether in the battlefield or uh, through judgment, at least according to the, the laws that were given at that time. But anyway, that was David's commandment. And what does Joab, David's top commander, do whenever he comes upon Absalom in battle? has him killed, execution style, in a really brutal way. Father, king, military commander, David's a failure in all these. And really his kingdom is kind of in shambles. I mean, he ends up working through it and putting it, putting things back together more or less. But it's not good at all at this time. Uh, David's a failure. What does he do about that? He embraces the grief, as we said. He embraces the grief of all these things. 
the grief of his own failures, the grief of the consequences of his failures, the, the grief of, of just the world that he's living in, as he moves through his failure and deals with his failure, he grieves. I mean, I think one of the best things, so I mean, um, for instance, in 2 Samuel chapter um, 15 and 16, David goes up out of the city of Jerusalem and uh, the text talks about him even being barefoot and, and a sign of mourning and grief. In 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33, after Absalom is killed, the news comes to David and it says the king was deeply moved went up to the chamber above the city gate, and he wept. And as he walked, he cried, My son, Absalom, my son, my son, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. Here we see in story form what we get a lot in the Psalms of David, and that is uh, lament, uh, lament, grieving over the condition of the world, grieving over the consequences of our own sin, grieving over our failures, grieving embracing that. Sometimes some of us want to uh, suppress our grief, our weeping and mourning, our disappointments. So you failed. You're a failure. Your life is not going well. And uh, somebody says, hey, how's it going? And you say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Pivot. Let's get away from me. I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about you. I'm not willing to embrace the grief. I'm not willing to weep and mourn. I'm not willing to admit I'm kind of a mess right now. Now, by the way, I want to say something because sometimes uh, people take lament, biblical lament, and weeping and mourning over failure as sort of a license to be a crybaby all the time. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Okay, at some point you got to quit crying. You got to start doing some stuff. David even models that. Even as he weeps, he's trying to lead the people. He's trying to put things back together with his kingdom. He's exhorted, hey, you got to get up and quit crying about this and move forward. And he does. And the Psalms speak to that as well. David doesn't just weep and cry and mourn and, oh, look how bad it is. He also is turning to God. Hey, God, fix this. Hey, God, do something. Hey, God, I'm going to keep on serving you. So embracing grief, weeping and mourning, engaging in lament, some people are like, oh, great, I love complaining anyways. Oh, great, I love being a crybaby. Oh, great, I love being a, a fatalist and, and all this kind of stuff anyway. So that's perfect for me. I want to do that whenever there's failure. Matter of fact, I'd love to invent some failure just so I have something to cry about and whine about. Uh-uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a godly lament, faithful lament, where we're turning to God, where we're open even with others around us. Here's the mess I'm in. Here's the problem. But we're doing that in a way that we say, how can we keep moving forward? How can we serve God better? How can we recover from our failure? But the only way to do that is to recognize our failure first and to embrace the grief of that. Like Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you're not willing to mourn, you're never going to be able to be comforted. How am I going to move through failure? How am I going to move on from my failures? How am I going to deal with the consequences of my failures? I'm going to have to embrace grief, weep and mourn, engage in lament. There's another thing, though, that, that helped David and allowed David to go through his failures. And really, we're circling back to earlier parts of David's story. So much of David's story, he's sort of this, I don't know about in your mind, but if you're a Bible reader, even if you're not, anytime there's kind of a heroic figure, and you can think about um, you know, ancient Greek legends that we love to read or uh, superhero stories of contemporary culture, biblical narratives. A lot of times you can see these people just as these sort of solitary figures, right? You see David sort of standing there bravely on the battlefield against Goliath or David praying to God, David writing a psalm, David here dealing with his sin, and he's very solitary and alone. But that's not how David got through his failures. Whenever um, Absalom was taking the kingdom, 
all the people were leaving Jerusalem. And David's there, and there's kind of this processional kind of thing. I'm not really sure exactly why the setup was that way, but whatever it was, David is is greeting all these people as they depart. And there's one character in particular that I've always loved. He's one of my favorite characters in, in all the story of, of the life of David, and, and honestly, in just the whole Bible. He's really interesting to me. I wish I knew more about him. But anyway, here, here's the, let me read a little bit of the text in 2 Samuel chapter 15, um, and in verse 15. It says, The king's servant said to David, Whatever my lord the king decides, we are your servants. So all David's, David's not alone. He's got all kinds of servants that are going to stick with him, even as he's dealing with the consequences of his failure in his family and as a king, as Absalom here is taking over the kingdom, leading this coup d'etat. David has people who are loyal to him. So the king set out, and his entire household followed him. But he left behind ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out, and all the people followed him. They stopped at the last house, while all his servants marched past him. Then all the Carathites, the Pelathites, and the people of Gath, 600 men who came with him from there, marched past the king. These are people who are not native Israelites, who had come and been loyal to David. So you got all his servants, all his household, and then you got all these soldiers from other nations that had come to serve David and had become loyal to him. They're sticking with him. Then I love this, verse 19. Then the king said to Etai of Gath, or Etai the Gittite, yours might say, a Gittite is somebody who's from Gath, which was a Philistine city, by the way. David says to Etai, Why are you also going with us? Go back and, and stay with the new king, since you're a foreigner, and you're in exile from your homeland. Besides, you only arrived yesterday. Should I make you wander around with us today while I go wherever I can? In other words, David's saying, Etai, look, man, like, you're displaced. Like, you've come to join us and as God's people. You've left your homeland behind and don't come with me. I don't know where I'm even going. I don't know how this thing's going to go. You don't want to be with me right now. Go back and take your brothers with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. David's saying, don't come with me. And by the way, is that not often how you feel whenever you fail? There's people who want to come be with you and uh, or want to associate with you or want to come up next to you in the midst of your failures, and you tend to push them away. You tend to kind of distance yourself. I don't know how often I have these conversations where people talk about, oh, you know what, I, I'm sorry I've been distant lately. Some bad things have been happening, which is, and even the person is saying that, they recognize, I know when bad things happen. That should be the time when I should be embracing you more than ever. But we do this. Things go badly and we push people away. We distance ourselves. We isolate. Look at what Etai says. In response, Etai vowed to the king, as Yahweh lives, and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King is, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be also. I love this dude. Etai, by the way, David ends up making Etai one of his top uh, generals whenever they go into battle later in uh, in 2 Samuel uh, 17 and 18 when you see it all go down. But, but here's the thing I love about Etai, and I think he's sort of this singular figure that um, is emblematic of this period of David's life and what helped David move through his failures is he had faithful companions. Uh, faithful, I mean, by they were faithful to him, but also they were faithful to God, and because they were faithful to God, they were faithful to him. But the, the point is, when you're going through your failure, you need people. You need those faithful companions. You need people. And sometimes, by the way, that means you've got to be willing to embrace them. I know here, the people are just going with David. David's trying to push them away, and they say no. By the way, I guess I should learn the lesson that I need to be looking out for people who are going through trouble, and God help me. And I can think about so many. I'm mean, just right now even thinking of times when I've let people down by not more proactively saying, hey, I'm here for you. What do you need? What can I do for you? But also on the other side, when I'm in trouble, 
I need to embrace. I need to reach out to. I need those faithful companions who will support me, who will help me. And yeah, it may be a little embarrassing. And yeah, I feel kind of guilty that they're having to deal with my problems. They got their own problems. They shouldn't have to deal with my problems. And that's true. But I need those people. That's how God is going to move me through my failure is to have those faithful companions. Why was David okay? How is he able to proceed? It's because he wasn't alone when he was wandering around. He had people who were in his corner. He had people who were sticking up for him, even some who didn't do it very well at times. And we might think of people like Abishai or Joab, but he had people like Etai also who were being just faithful, loyal, humble servants who are sticking with him. Whenever you're going through failure, if you're going to make it through that, if you're going to deal with whatever your failure may be, a financial failure, a relationship failure, something that's your fault, something that's not your fault, you need faithful friends who will stick with you through it all if you really want to make it uh, and not be ruined by your failure. Let me tell you a third thing that I think is really important and, and maybe maybe the most important through this whole thing. And that is what moved David through his failures what helped him overcome his failures was a God consciousness in all things. A God consciousness in all things. In 2 Samuel 16, David's departing from the city of, uh, of Jerusalem. And there's a man named Shimei who's coming and cursing and throwing stones, doing all kinds of bad stuff toward David. And one of David's soldiers, one of those faithful friends, didn't have a great idea. He wanted to kill him. Um, Abishai, one of David's soldiers. Verse 10. The king replied, sons of Zariah, uh, Abishai was one of the sons of Zariah, do we agree on anything? He curses me this way because the Lord told him, curse David. Therefore, who can say, why did you do that? Then David said to Abishai and all his servants, look at my own son. My own flesh and blood intends to take my life. How much more now this Benjaminite, by the way, the Benjaminites was the tribe that the former dynasty had come from. So of course these people would be opposed to David. He was the new dynasty that took their place. So David's saying, of course. And he says, leave him alone and let him curse me. The Lord has told him to. Perhaps the Lord will see my affliction and restore goodness to me instead of Shimei's curses today. What do you see with David? I want to read this also actually. Verse 14, verse 14, as David goes, it says, Finally, the king and all the people with him arrived exhausted, and they rested there. They don't attack, they don't retaliate, they go and they find rest. But what is it that led David toward finding rest, even in the midst of his failure and dealing with the consequences of his failure? It was a God consciousness. Now, it's interesting. There's nothing in the scriptures that explicitly say God told Shimei to curse David. As a matter of fact, it seems like later in David's life, he recognized that actually God didn't send Shimei. Uh, or if he did, Shimei wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. Shimei was doing something wrong. But in this moment, whenever David's dealing with some consequence of his failure, this shame and humiliation, being cursed by this man who hated him, David's thought is, maybe this is from the Lord. David takes it as an act of discipline, as a lesson that he can learn. And as he takes that lesson, he also looks forward, not only to God punishing him right then, but he looks forward and says, you know what, maybe if we continue to be humble, maybe if we continue to do what's right, then God will show us good instead of punishment as a result of Shimei's uh, uh, curses and, and what's going on and all this kind of stuff. What was it that moved David forward? A God consciousness in all things, both in the bad things, uh, in the things present, in the things about the future, all of it. He's centered on the Lord. And man, I think this is so important because so often with our failures, we can become extremely conscious, hyper-conscious of ourselves. We can become hyper-conscious of other people and what other people think of us or how other people are treating us or whatever. We can become, of course, extremely conscious about our 
our circumstance and our surroundings and what's happening with us day to day. And that's kind of the thing that becomes our obsession is, oh, like I'm so conscious of this this failure, this problem, this issue, whatever, uh, and what people think of me and how I messed up and oh, I've, I've messed up so many times and I could never be good again. And we think about everybody and everything except for one, the one that matters, the one that can make a difference, the one that it's all about, God himself. The Psalms here again are so instructive. Whenever David faced failed circumstances in his life, and not just David, but you think about Psalms like uh, like Psalm 73, where the psalmist there is is lamenting and, and going to God saying, why is my life a failure while everybody else is going great? I'm righteous. I'm trying to do what's right. And my life just seems like a failure. How often do you feel like that? And yet what you can do is, you can get so wrapped up in your circumstances, in yourself. Oh, I shouldn't have made that choice. Oh, I shouldn't have done a thing. Oh, I didn't know what to do, and I do now, but I messed up, and I did this wrong thing in the past because I didn't know what to do. And you get so wrapped up in all that stuff. And, and you think about the future. And, of course, when you're all wrapped up in yourself and your circumstances and other people, the future is kind of dictated by those things. And that's where worry comes from and anxiety because all you can think about is, oh, I'm going to mess up again because I messed up before. And these people, they don't trust me anymore. They're not going to love me anymore or, or uh, whatever, like whatever the thing is. And so whenever you think about your present, your past, your future, all you can think about is things that aren't going to help instead of being conscious of God. Whenever Jesus talked about worry and anxiety, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Why is that? Because you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Whenever you worry, Jesus said, why don't you think about what God does for birds and grass? If God handles birds and grass, don't you think he's going to take care of you? You of little faith. You're not being conscious of God. You're being conscious of everything. But if we're going to move through our failures, if we're going to get better after we've messed up, we got to develop and deepen a God consciousness in all things. Yeah, whenever bad things are happening, I should think of that as like, what, what's God trying to teach me? By the way, sometimes God isn't trying to teach you anything. Well, I mean, he is, but he's not the one who sent that bad thing. Just like Shimei, I really don't think, other than David's assumption here, which, as I said, later on in David's life, I think you can see that even David came to the conclusion that, no, actually, that wasn't God sending Shimei. Shimei was just being evil. Well, it's good, though, in the moment when something happens, to just assume maybe this is God teaching me something. Maybe God's trying to grow me up here. Maybe God's trying to change my mind. And then I'll learn something from that. I'll grow from that. And I stay God-conscious about my future. Think about, hey, if I'm faithful to God, God's promised. He'll reward me. He'll take care of me. He'll continue to love me. He'll do all the things I need. And yeah, you know, I'm still going to have some hardships, but I'm not conscious of those. I'm not focused on myself, my circumstances, other people. My consciousness is locked in on God and on God alone. All right, last thing I'm going to say uh, about how to move on with failure, how to deal with failure. So if we're going to deal with our failures, if we're going to move on from failure or move on with our failures and carry these things well, it's got to start with embracing grief, lamenting, mourning, and weeping in a faithful way, in a godly way, not in a worldly way, not in a self-pity way, but embracing grief. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If I'm going to be able to move on from failure or move forward with my failures and the consequences of them, I'm going to need faithful friends, faithful companions, people like Etai, people who can help me, support me, guide me, be what I need to keep me going. Don't push people away. Draw people in in those moments. The third thing is I'm going to need to develop and deepen a God consciousness in all things. Whenever there's the bad stuff happening, I need to see it as a lesson from God. Whenever there's good stuff happening, I need to see it as a gift from God. My future is controlled by God. i got to have a God consciousness and do what I need to do right now. That's the fourth thing we see from David. This is after all the consequence of this. Absalom dies. It's all really bad. And Joab, David's commander, comes to him and says, Hey, listen, like, 
the kingdom's getting messed up if you don't do something. And David could have thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a man. Remember the Bathsheba thing? I'm a failure as a father. Look at my daughter Tamar. My sons, Amnon. My son Amnon was killed by my son Absalom because I didn't do anything. And then Absalom stole the kingdom because I didn't do right by him. I'm, I'm a failure as a father, as a family man. And I'm a failure as a king. How could the people trust me now? I mean, people people are starting to talk. People got to know. I don't know how many people knew, but people got to know about this Bathsheba thing. And and people definitely know that I'm this humiliated king who walked out. My own son, my own flesh and blood slept with my concubines in the sight of everyone to show that, to dishonor me. I, I can't. I can't. There was good that David needed to do right then. And instead of being weighed down and crushed by his failures in the past, he determined, no, I'm going to do some good now. And I'm going to get up. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again the best I can. And it's only going to be by God's grace if any of this stuff works out. But I'm going to keep moving forward. And I'm not going to let my failures make me a failure forever. And too many of us, that's what we do. We let our failures in the past make us failures forever instead of doing good now. David moved on. David put the kingdom back together. By the way, there were still civil wars and rebellions and all kinds of things that David had to deal with after this. It wasn't easy. And some of the reason it wasn't easy was because of his failures. But that didn't stop him from doing good now. Yes, you failed. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, your life is a wreck because of choices you made and things you've done and wrongs of your past and maybe wrongs that are being carried with you right now. Do good now. Don't be captivated by the past and your failures, but do good now. I love what Acts chapter 3, I think it's about verse 19 or 20, maybe verse 21. It says, repent so that times of refreshing may come. I love that. Times of refreshing may come. That doesn't mean that your past wasn't bad. It was. But it's time for refreshment now. It's time for something good now. It's time to move forward now. Embrace the grief of your failures. Lament, weep, and mourn. Turn to those faithful companions who aren't going to eliminate the bad stuff, but they can help you navigate your failures and the things that you've done and the wrongs that have occurred. Make sure that you develop and deepen a God consciousness so that you can move forward and do good. No matter what your failure is, it doesn't have to be the prison that you live in forever. It can be the, the mountain that you climb, with that you reach the top, and you find God himself, the God who loves you, the God who is your faithful companion, the God who comforts you whenever you mourn and dries every tear, the God who is always there, even when you were a failure, even when all your life was messed up and it didn't seem like he was anywhere to be found, the God who gave you the strength to do good so that you could come home to be with him. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.